Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to, well, what has been a long time coming, a, another Big Footy podcast, perhaps the last one for this year, maybe not, I haven't really figured that part out yet, but uh, joining me tonight are some of, uh, well, the biggest talents on Big Footy podcasts that uh, I could get on tonight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that sums it up. <laughs> jo- jo- joining me. Uh, a man who has watched uh, the 2016 Grand Final an endless amount of times. A man who would put Messenger to shame with the amount of Grand Finals he has watched. Uh, Mike, welcome. Hello, welcome. I'm, I'm still quite haven't caught up to Messenger yet, but I'm giving him a run for his money. I will have to win a three-peat for me to get to his level of uh, awesomeness in watching the replays, but at least I've got a head start. And uh, also joining us, a man who has... Uh, Enjoyed the talents of Jared Waite this year. Uh, an endless amount of times, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> he might be, he might be ha- with, happy with how his team travelled this year as well, but K-Free, uh, Kangaroos Forever, welcome aboard. Thanks, thanks for having me on. And, uh, of course, uh, joining us, our expert on all things women's footy. <laughs> Peter, welcome back, mate. Great to be back here. And I just want to clarify, did you say the biggest talent or the cheapest talent available? I meant the only talent available. <laughs> the or all of the above. <laughs> the, only, the only talent I could get on board. Look, guys, let's get straight into it. it is, uh, it's been a while since we've done a podcast, and I don't really want to go back through the whole year's uh, worth of news that we've missed. But, uh, Mike, your, your club won a grand final. Uh, they, they've they uh, topped the year off by announcing a $3.6 million profit today, um, which isn't too bad for the Bulldogs uh, if uh, you followed their financial predicaments over the years. How's your team done it, mate? What's going on there? Ah, oh, look. Um, well, just on the financial front, I think week, the grand final week, they sold over a million dollars of merchandise. So that, that was quite a phenomenal um, achievement there. And uh, when... Um, you were walking around the stands. So I got to go to the grand final. I went to the grand final. You were walking around the uh, souvenir stands and they were just, there was nothing remaining of Bulldogs' um, scarves and hats. It was just completely barren. and you could, They couldn't sell us one stuff. But, um, you know, I guess just, just jumping on, everyone was starting to jump on and come out of the woodwork. And those supporters who, you know, had been following the dogs for 30, 40 years, never bought a membership, have all of a sudden jumped on the bad wagon. But I think it probably just comes back to having that... Um, having changed and finally got that uh, culture of, um, you know, the team is bigger than the player. And I think that's probably what, what what's really set this team on its path, this club on its path, is, you know, just reiterating and forcing the issue to the players is that, you know, you are not bigger than this club. And um, if you don't toe the line, we'll, uh, we'll send you to the VFL or you won't get a game until we think you, you deserve it. So, you know, Beveridge has just been nothing, something short of, or nothing short of um, sensational in his time. And I think that just comes from that expert tutelage of uh, Alistair Clarkson, what he's learnt there and his background. Um, you know, I think he, uh, he he coached some beads to three successive flags and then got a uh, gig in the coaching ranks and then uh, worked with Alistair Clarkson for a few years. So it certainly paid off. And, um, yeah, it's it's been nothing short of a revelation, really, when you look at where we were two years ago with the club in a complete uh, shamozzle. Um to premiers two years later, um, nothing short of uh, astounding or, or um, amazing when you look at it. And as I was saying before the call started, I think when you look at where we finished in seventh, I don't think that's really a true indication of how close the year or the season was in terms of 
um, you know, places between first and seventh anyway at this point in time. I mean, North Melbourne had their issues and their bad run with injury and form, but it was two wins between first and seventh. So I don't think when you look at a team winning from seventh um, on the raw numbers, you think, oh, that's fantastic. But I think when you actually look down and drill into the numbers of, of how close they were through the season, you know, it, it's really not as surprising as it might appear on, on the surface. But, um, yeah, other than that, absolutely happy. It's wrapped um, to see uh, the Doggies finally make a grand final, let alone win one, and hope we can uh, continue on um, with this club that's uh, got the ability and uh, certainly got the list to do it. So up to, it's it's theirs now to, uh, to lose, I would say, in terms of uh, to not make the most of it. We'd be remiss not to mention that uh, long-serving board member Susan Alberti retired yesterday as well. Uh, Peter, a big driver in women's footy as well. Yeah, she has been uh, really pushing for this uh, AFLW competition and uh, helped originally fund at the start the Bulldogs women's side when they had their uh, first exhibition matches starting back in 2013. You'll see those original jumpers with the Susan Alberti uh, Medical Research uh, Institute on their uh, jumpers. I mean, she, she donated personally uh, $25,000 to the Victorian Women's Football League years ago so they could employ their, well, first employee to help uh, run the competition. And, of course, she's done millions and millions of dollars into, um, obviously, juvenile diabetes um, uh, research, so uh, uh, an extraordinary woman. I actually had the chance uh, uh, earlier this year to chat with her, and I uh, did a podcast, and she gave away half an hour of her time, and the story, uh, everything that she's had to go through is amazing in life, particularly that she's lost her daughter, she lost her, well, she's obviously remarried, but lost her um, uh, original husband um, through a a motorbike accident, just all the tragedies she's gone in her life, and even herself nearly having a uh, health scare, and uh, to be able to do that, everything that she's done, particularly for the Western Bulldogs. Uh, and I'm hearing something like she poured in $4 million of her own money into the Bulldogs, and uh, for her to be rewarded with a premiership is fantastic. Yeah, look, Su- Susan Alberti, look, take away this, the fact that she's obviously been affiliated with the Bulldogs and been you know, vice president for some time. She's a great philanthropist of the game and pioneer, obviously a pioneer for women's footing, getting established. So she's, um, you know, and, and she's been a well-respected um, football identity uh, of the female ranks in the game. So, you know, um, I think we're all thankful because she was also around during that uh, really bad time with Peter Gordon and, and she uh, had a lot of... Uh, she put a lot of her time and uh, and uh, resources into, uh, you know, getting the club back up and running to where it is today. So, you know, I mean, it would have we all would have liked to have had a flag you know, um, a little bit earlier than we did. But, hey, you know, we, we finally got one. I think all that long-term effort has finally paid off. And hopefully now this club can really get uh, that sort of kick, kick off it needs to uh, grow its, um, you know, grow its numbers, improve its financial position. And uh, if, we can, if we can get uh, close to order over 50,000 members next year, I think we're doing very well. Yeah. Mike, two questions. Um, uh, uh, first of all, A, were you there on the family day um, after the grand final, which um, you know, I, I couldn't believe the numbers of Bulldog supporters there at the ground. That looked, I'm watching on TV. That looked incredible. And second, that, that, does it make it all the more special, that flag, that Peter Gordon is in charge of the Bulldogs, the guy that was there in 89 when your, your darkest days? Um. But to the first question, yes, uh, I took the kids down there and the missus, and we were there for the uh, family day, and it was absolutely phenomenal. It was, um, you know, I even heard uh, commentary from you know Hawthorne um, 
officials saying that, geez, this is this is huge, bigger than what we had at our family days after uh, they won their flags. So yeah, obviously, given the timing and you know the first time it's uh, the first time the dogs have played in the grand final since '61, um, just the amount of energy. You know, it, it, it's reminiscent, I guess, of the Rabbitohs winning the uh, NRL um, grand final a couple of years back, sort of similar thing. So when you've had a club that's been starved of success for some time, um, and Kangaroos Forever, you might remember this back in 96 um, when the Roos won their first flag since the 70s, you know, that feeling of, great, this, this is awesome, and, you know, Geelong fans in 2007. So it's almost, you know, it's that drought breaker when that club's got its uh, first flag for quite some time that sort of invigorates the club so to speak and um yeah no it was it was fantastic i'm not sure if there would be about 30,000 people there as, as the numbers might have been told it felt like there would be about 20 20 maybe 22 23,000 i i think 30,000 might have been a bit far fetched but there was certainly a lot of people there and the AFL certainly set you guys up for a good year next year with the fixture, and you've got your game in Ballarat, which is now going to be two, apparently, in 2018. Yeah, well, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, look, this club's really um, done a lot of hard work to set itself up now for hopefully what what uh, is a prosperous future, and obviously in the next couple of years will be will be a challenge, you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll uh, take on any challenge. Um, that's been thrown at us, and hopefully this team, a lot, a lot would argue otherwise, but um, many would recognise that this team does have um, the ability to go on and, and at least win another flag um, with the current makeup as it is. Um, when and if we can do that, obviously that remains to be seen, but um, there's really no excuse for not being able to capitalise on where it's got to now. You heard it here first, folks. Back-to-back flags for the Bulldogs. Uh, I, uh, well, look, I, I, I don't know. Of course, they'd be happy, but um, I'd be very, dis- I'd be disappointed if they couldn't snare another flag in the next three years. So I think this team has really got the ability to do that. So you know, very rem- reminiscent to a degree of the uh, North Melbourne team of '96 to 2000 um, that were in there a couple of grand finals. Um, we won, know, a, yeah, we in a few finals in the '90s. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know the one to ninety-eight losing to uh, Adelaide. Um, that that but, didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> but you won the next year to, against who was it? Oh, I can't uh, remember. <laughs> as far yeah, as I remember, right. we played our grand final the week before. But you know, so. obviously, obviously, with the next couple of years, it's going to be obviously hard. And you know, you've got you've got GWS now, which um, I watched. Uh, I, I couldn't make it to the game against the GWS, the preliminary final. But um, geez, they're. they're they're just going to get better, and that uh, preliminary final was probably one of the the toughest match I'd seen all year. Mm. All right, moving along, and uh, Kangas, I haven't forgotten you're here, mate. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arden Street getting a game of footy in the preseason next year is going to be a big deal for North Melbourne. Oh, it's huge! Absolutely massive. Oh, the amount of people that's going, we're going to travel a long distance to watch this all the way from overseas. It's fantastic to get back to our spiritual homeland against Hawthorne. I wouldn't mind it against the old enemy Essendon, but Hawthorne will do for now. <laughs> I, I haven't been to Arden Street for many a year now. Uh, the AFL says they have to bring in a few amenities and things like that. Uh, there's a oh. few issues with uh, that. Uh, yeah, I, 
I'm imagining it's a bit more than a few amenities. <laughs> um, yes, and the main gripe on the North Melbourne board, this has been a joke for about 30 years, is the fact that <laughs> we don't have a cafe there. We only got a coffee car. <laughs> I, I imagine there might be a bit more at it, mate. They might bring uh, an inflatable elephant uh, down or something. Uh, I, I, saw, I, I saw a practice match at Port Melbourne, um, pardon me, at North Melbourne, should I say, a couple of years ago when Port Melbourne were taking on uh, Werribee. And uh, Port Melbourne had to bring along the siren and like a fold-out <laughs> cricket-type scoreboard because none of those facilities were at Arden Street, and they still aren't. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm pretty sure the AFL brings its own TV screen with it, uh, its, its own big screen to these matches. So at least I'll have that. Um, but, yeah, amenities. I, mean, I, th- I think we're talking toilets and... Toilets, and seating's going to be an issue. It's... It'll probably be around that five to 10,000. It won't be anything beyond 10,000. Seating's think... an issue. Um, ground size isn't too bad. The ground itself, not too bad. It's about the size, same size as Eddie had, so it's not too bad. Game at the West They'd have to put up temporary fencing around there too, wouldn't oh, they? Yeah. They've got no oh, fences. You can just walk in. Yeah. <laughs> Free for all at the uh, at Arden Street. Uh, Mike Western Oval's getting a game as well, apparently. Yes, yes. Uh, which game was that? I think it was against uh, yeah against Melbourne. Sorry, That's right. I, I That's meant the first the, Saturday, eighteenth of February. The VU Witten Oval or whatever they call it now. Yeah, Sorry. Victoria University Witten Oval. It's always the Western Oval to me. Yeah, look again, again. Um, you know the small suburban clubs. Arden Street and, and Whitnable, although Whitnable has, has obviously got uh, you know food stands and they've got some bathroom facilities and things like that. They've still got a scoreboard. Um, it's actually a uh, digital scoreboard, so in the times, um, and obviously they've got fences around them, so it's not so much a free for all. But mm. um, it reminds me back of going. I think the last time I went to Arden Street must have been about 1984, I think, or 1983. That's right. It's watching Footscray versus North Melbourne, so it's been quite some time since I've been there, but I have driven past it from time to time. Do, do you miss it, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, I miss watching players kick to the uh, goal square from centre-half back. It's, it's, like, it's like going to Moorabbin. I remember going to Moorabbin when you basically... It was just terraces, and it, was, it wasn't like paved terraces. It was just mud. Yeah. And, oh, I don't remember that fondly at all. Don't care what's... Oh, well, well, well there, there was nothing more demoralising <laughs> than going to Victoria Park, I could tell you that, as a... As a uh, opposition uh, supporter. Mm. I, yeah. Well, there's nothing more than frightening than going to the old Footscray ground at Western Oval when the canteen was under the scoreboard and they had <laughs> industrial <laughs> strength vinegar. You pour in your chips and it goes straight through the bag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there is that too. Oh, there was that too. That's right. <laughs> mm. I think uh, Carlton have also got a, a game at their suburban, uh, at well, Icon Park. It's barely suburban, really. It's in the CBD <laughs> almost. But, uh, yeah. So, the fixture came out today for the pre-season. Well, here's, here's, a, here's a question for you. I don't want to sort of um, derail the thread of discussions around grounds, but why, you know, be, I really think that the AFL should be using, um, I'll call it Optus Oval, um, to, its, to its capabilities because it can still hold and host AFL games. Well, it's... A, Yes and no. The Melbourne City Council aren't overly fond of Carlton using its ground because there's no transport options. The The local residents object violently to uh, Carlton using it anywhere near as much as they'd like. It is actually a city bylaw that Carlton can't have uh, lights at the ground. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, I, I think while Carlton fans would like to, uh, would like to use the ground more, I don't think... Um, 
I don't think the AFL is really in, in any position to kind of push it that way. Plus, with them taking over Etihad Stadium, I've noted this year there seem to be more games at Etihad Stadium in the 2017 pre-season fixture than normal. Um, that could be interesting given that there's a number of concerts in the weeks before the pre-season starts as well. So, mm. fun stuff ahead. But yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I think all suburban grounds that are still operating should be should be holding uh, pre-season games. I think it's where your club should start your pre-season off. You have your family day, your members day, whatever, uh, in tandem with your first home game at your at your traditional ground. Let your members get in touch with uh, the club's history and things like that. I think all clubs should do it. And also with Icon Park as well, Princess Park, so we better know it. Um, it's been argued for years of why the VFL Grand Final hasn't gone back there because they're never selling out Eddie had study. And the most they had was for the uh, Footscray Box Hill VFL Grand Final, which I think was about 23,000 a few years ago. And since then, it's really hovered about eight or 9,000 people at the Grand Final. It look a hell of a lot better inside Princess Park than in Eddie had Stadium. It's, it's what, what of, was the uh, attendance this year for the grand final? It was, grand final? It, it, it was low against Casey. I can't remember what the exact number was, but I think it was under double figures. Right. I think I think it was under ten thousand. It, it I, wasn't great. I've never understood the the commercial logic. Like you get the, the the AFL clubs that are talking about how they've got to get thirty thousand people in to turn money over, uh, like to turn any kind of profit over. I've never understood how there's any profit to be made on VFL games. At, at it's all. It's all done for the corporates. Essentially, they want to use the um, uh, dining facilities up there to throw in all the sponsors and all the wigs and all the hanger honours that help AFL Victoria out. That's the only reason. And that's why when they talk about Port Melbourne being an alternative venue, they were waiting for years for Port Melbourne's new facility to be done because, again, they were wanting to have an area where they could Mm. wine and dine the corporates. There's actually 17,348. Well, there you go. It didn't look like that much on TV, but yeah. That, that's probably one of the higher grand finals because it'd been lower the year before. I always say with their grand finals, you deduct about 3000 off the figure because that includes the TAC Cup as well. And, and what happens, they come in and watch usually about two to 3000 supporters, but they all leave because there's like a big hour, hour and a half gap between the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and there you go. Port, North Port Oval actually had six finals played there. Yeah, they they pretty much have all the finals played there except for the grand final uh, for the last couple of years. Yeah, KC Scorpions and Footscray was at KC Fields and then Collingwood and Williamstown was at Icon Park. Mm. So this brings us to the draft, which was, of course, held recently. So we're, we're kind of all catching up now. Uh, what, what, what caught your eye in the draft, lads? Mike? <sighs> um... Probably just, just obviously there's a few few clubs that surprised others by not picking the obvious or who, who people picked up. But I, I didn't really pay a lot of interest to this year's draft. Um, well, obviously with your first pick not being until... Well, 19. 19. <laughs> Correct. Ours was, that's right. Ours was uh, 19. But um, yeah, um, I noticed obviously that most of the, most of the high pick drafts were... Uh, were uh, midfielders, inside midfielders, mm. um, you know, running players. Very few key positions um, until sort of you start getting in the teens. And we picked up uh, English, um, which we were pretty surprised that he went that far down. They were looking, though he was touted as going somewhere in the top ten. Oh, yeah, cool. but you always have to be careful of Ruckman, though. That's the thing. They've always been a bit reluctant to take him a bit early, just in case they don't come on. 
I think it just depends on where your list is, really. You, yep. you know, and what, and what your list needs are. Our, we we had a deficit. We've got a deficit with our ruck stocks. So you know, with uh, Minson retiring, um, which leaves Roughhead and uh, Tom Campbell sort of in the twos. Um, so we sort of needed to pick him up. So for us, it was it was sort of perfect to get him at that point in time. So, you are right in that sense. As as to, I wouldn't have expected him to go in anywhere near the anywhere near the you know top five, but. I think there was some conversation around him going around sort of pick 9 to 12. There's a few yep. players that uh, slipped a, a bit beyond where they were expected to. Uh, and a few players that... Well, um, what's his face? <laughs> the Jarman, who was ended up being picked up by Adelaide as a rookie uh, father-son, rather than taken as a father-son in the draft. Neither Hawthorne nor Adelaide took him in the end. Uh, apparently, mm. there was some guarantee that if he wasn't taken in the draft, they'd take him as a rookie. Uh, Carlton didn't take Jake Bradley, um, which surprised me a little bit because he was training with the club late in the year. Um, so Petrie was interesting. Yeah, yeah. and that's he's that, cooked. <laughs> there's more than a few interesting uh, draft uh, things though with the free agency stuff going on, and uh, Petrie to Perth is a, a fascinating one. I don't know yeah, what... especially I, because he can't ruck anymore, but... <laughs> is, is, is that a... Co- is, is there a coaching job on offer there, a la Mitchell, or...? Um, oh, that definitely is the case. I'll say we get a forward gig, because he's got Brady Rawings there. He's got Adam Simpson. It's the North crew. We North make very good coaches, so... <laughs> well, and, and that's the other thing. The Sam Mitchell and Jordan Lewis... Uh, Guy's been dumped or, or traded off by Hawthorne, and then uh, Hawthorne's last pick in the draft was for a guy called Mitchell Lewis. <laughs> so a, a small amount of irony there. You couldn't you couldn't plan that any better. Well, one, one could say that you, West Coast are topping up for another for another attempt at a flag. You would you would say that. I think West Coast are. You know the trouble they had this year with Nick Nat, Nat Nui being out and Lysett struggling um, in the ruck with no real backup. They want someone. They're hoping like Petrie, who can pinch hit in the ruck from you know for, for short spells to give Lysett rest. Mm. Whether or not that's going to work, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I can sort of see where they're trying to where they're trying to do or what they're trying to achieve by having someone with some sort of ability to pinch hit ruck for a brief spell. Mm. Now in uh, in October, the women's draft was held, Peter, and uh, there were a few a uh, few people not taken in the draft. I thought that was uh, a little surprises, and a few other people that were. Yeah, it it, it it makes you scratch your head. Now, first of all, like for example, pick one uh, Nicola Barr, GWS Giants is not what I call a true pick one like the men's draft, where everyone from across the country gets thrown into one big pool and every club has a go at whatever players they want. Uh, it was broken down essentially that the Victorian clubs would have their own uh, pool of players to pick from. And then from the other states, it was a case of if you wanted to move to Queensland, you nominated for the Lions. If you wanted to live in New South Wales, you nominated for GWS, etc. So what happens was GWS by lottery had the first pick and then they picked Nicola Barr, who, of course, is a New South Wales resident. So it's not quite the traditional top 10 ranking of players like we have in the men's draft. Mm. I noticed uh, Kendra Hill, the Collingwood player, well, Collingwood drafted well, Collingwood free agent has uh, done an ACL. It's the third ACL in uh, six months or whatever for uh, women's players that have been drafted. 
That uh, is correct. Um, what happened was uh, the two marquees, believe it or not, uh, Renee Forth, GWS, and uh, Kiara Bowers for the Fremantle Dockers, both played for the Coastal Titans in WA. They were playing the WA-WFL semi-final. Both did their ACL in the same game. So uh, that is absolute rotten luck, and that's what's seen both of them out for uh, the season. Kendra Heil, the Canadian was coming back after doing her right ACL in about late February. So she was already going through the whole rehab. She was two months away. It looked like she was going to be, even if she missed the first one or two games, she was going to be playing this season, doing everything right. And then it was the left ACL that went this time around. And what makes it worse is not only is she going to miss the inaugural season, she's going to miss another VFL women's season, and she will miss... Uh, the IC17 and playing for Canada in August. So um, that's a triple whammy. That's a, the IC17 one's an interesting one too, uh, especially for players like Kendra and others who are playing in the, who have been drafted to the women's clubs. I'm not sure they can still play in the IC senior. I, I was speaking to the uh, coach of uh, the Canadian side, Jason Arnold, and he's still trying to get clarification on it because he knows, essentially for the men, and, and the rule was designed originally for the men, that if you're an AFL-listed player or you played in the AFL, you cannot play um, mm. for, um, for, for, an, for your country in the IC uh, tournaments. So, for example, Jason Holmes, who's played for um, St Kilda, cannot play for America. Um, and uh, Laura Corrigan at the moment has been listed as a free agent for Melbourne, uh, and she was uh, one of the star players in IC14 for Ireland. So um, uh, they're still trying to hang out there to find out uh, if they're going to make an exception to the rule or not, or if she'll be uh, disqualified. Mm. Um, There's an article the AFL put out yesterday talking about how the clubs are managing their players' workloads in terms of women being more susceptible to these kind of injuries that... Uh, the players are getting because there's a concern that as they they, they start to get into their professional regimes where they, they run a lot more and they they apply a lot more pressure to their bodies than they might be used to, that they might be more susceptible to injury. Um, I, 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 I've been fearing a big body count, to be honest, for season one. And the reason why I say it is as much as these women are very fit women in their own right, um, the level of football that they've played and have to train for has jumped dramatically. When, when I started calling women's footy in 2014, it was like a 14-round season with a couple of buys in there. You played maybe between 12 to 15 games for the season. And once you started adding rep football and more games in there, some women played in the vicinity, I think, of about 25, 26 games last year. So they've doubled the load in two years. Um, and now off the back of that, a very short off-season into a season that starts in February, eight games possibly of intense football, then a state league season on top. So I wouldn't be surprised if the body count is there because the, the workload on them has increased dramatically in three years. It's not like for, um, for for boys, essentially, where you've started out in Auskick. You've started out in Auskick as a eight- or nine-year-old. And as the years go along, as you get to the representative system, TAC Cup system, and then VFL and AFL, over a, what, 10-year period, your load increases as you go along mm. at, at a reasonable rate. Women's professional football, semi-professionals, only had this big jump in the last two years, and that's a lot. So it jumped. That, that is a lot. Do you think that's potentially going to see issues of uh, possible burnout in players? I think so. I mean, yeah, I feel sorry for the likes of um, 
Jenna McCormack, for example, who's playing for the Adelaide Crows. She's also a soccer player. Now, you've got to remember that she played um, a representative game for the Brisbane Lions versus the Gold Coast Suns, got on a plane, went to Iceland, played a full season of soccer over there, has just come back, is now playing another season of soccer for Canberra United up until February when she'll pull on the boots for the Adelaide Crows and then we'll play after that a season of state football or maybe soccer again. So, yeah, and there's Emma Carney as well, who's who played, as I said, 25, 26 games uh, during the state season. She's now playing cricket in the WBBL as well as local cricket, and then she's switching straight into the football season again. So for a lot of these women, they're very fit athletes, but, geez, you're thinking not only both um, physically but mentally as well, thinking you've, you've got to fit a break in there somewhere. I think some of them mm. might have bitten off a bit more than they can chew in the long run, but I guess uh, that's their call in the end. It's because uh, there's a few Brisbane and GWS players that are playing uh, soccer as well. I think at the moment, um, one of the Brisbane players is a cricketer as well. So, yeah, Kaminsky. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, captain of the Brisbane Heat, and um, so she's playing cricket, and now she's got to play football. And there was a recent article on, on the ABC yesterday, which talked about Cricket Australia putting contracts in front of women now, wanting to say we want you to prioritise cricket over football. So if there's a clash of training dates, you must choose cricket. Mm. Oh. Well, there's going to there's going to be more and more of that coming. I mean, it, it's happened with the men's stuff before. Um, you know, you, you've got to choose at a certain point whether you're going to play cricket or play footy. Gone are the days where Craig Bradley played state footy, uh, state cricket for Victoria and South Australia, and footy for Carlton and Port Adelaide. And and as well, it's 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 almost like cricket's way of fighting back against footy, and they're doing it on the women's level because they're losing on the boys' level. There was an article um, uh, near my area around uh, the city of Port Phillips, south side of Melbourne, where um, there's the South East Cricket Association. There's a junior, big junior competition out here, and about a dozen or more players, really good players, in about the under sixteen level are virtually having to give up cricket because what's happened is the Sandringham Dragons have changed their training dates for um, their TAC academies and they're virtually telling the boys, no, you've got to train Fridays with us and they're all having to give up cricket, which is normally scheduled on Friday. So now all of a sudden there's a big battle at the 16-year-old age group for what sport can you play. So, Mm. yeah, gloves are off. (laughs) Well, it'll be fun to watch. Now, uh, just... uh quickly on to the VFL going, because there has been a little bit of movement in the VFL season. Um, well, not the VFL season, but in the VFL teams, and we've seen uh, some issues with Frankston and their debt issues. Uh, and uh, for the time being, I think they've lost their licence, uh, but uh, they're planning on regaining that any year or so. Uh, Peter, what can you tell me about that? Yeah, I can tell you that, um, that Frankston are now back in control of their own board. What happened was uh, they were put into the hands of administrators about uh, two months ago. Um, I think it was debts of something like $1.5 million, uh, substantial debts there. It, it found out later on that a lot of these debts were to the state government because of uh, pokey machines, uh, which in the end they gave back their pokey machines and most of the debt has been written off. There was some debt to the local council. Um, because of their quote-unquote poor performances on the part by um, by uh, AFL Victoria, they decided to step in and uh, cancel the licence before the before the administrators could meet with the members. So the members were naturally very angry about that. State government representatives went to AFL Victoria saying, can you stop cancelling the licence until we meet the administrators so we can work out a plan of where to go? AFL Victoria said, we don't want any of it. We're going to cancel your licence. There was a late concession... Um, saying that, oh, we'll cancel your licence for 2017, but you can 
quote-unquote, reapply for 2018. And I think a lot of smart people are reading in between the lines, like they've done in Tasmania, that you could see a side reappear at Frankston Park, but it might be a case of um, a a semi-controlled club, as in half controlled by a football club like Frankston, half controlled by AFL Victoria. This thing has happened in Tasmania, where the AFL Tasmania itself half controls a club. It's very, very messy. Mm. And uh, the other one, of course, is North Ballarat, who the the AFL website itself reported that uh, North Ballarat were going to vote uh, this week on whether to stay in the league or not. Uh, North Ballarat turned around and said, well, we do this vote pretty much every month on, on financial matters because obviously they have some financial concerns with being in the league and so this is not an unusual vote to be having. It's nothing out of the ordinary. And in the end, they voted to stay in the league anyway. Um, so some turmoil at VFL level. Uh, but uh, K- uh, Kangas, uh, North have set up their academy in Tasmania now, apparently. Uh, yes, I don't know a heap about it personally, but I do know that they're starting to pump in some time into that. We're looking at probably Taryn Thomas coming through, on, I'm pretty sure, not next year, but the year after, coming through the academy. Young Indigenous talent, we're quite excited about him coming through. We're also looking at a few father-sons, just on another side note, but we're not sure if Sydney's going to nab one or two of them because of the Blakey and Longmire connections, but we'll see how we go with that. Um, I, th- I think the the North Academy in Tasmania that they're talking about at the moment is for 10- to 14-year-old boys and girls. It's... Uh... It's oh, the, the youth development. The Sorry, youth yeah, de- my bad. <laughs> it's, it's the yeah, youth um, development one. So, um, yeah, as well, and they've got their Indigenous Academy, which is somewhere else, I think. So, um, But this is their Tasmanian Academy for that. Yep. Um, there does seem to be some concerns over Tasmanian footy in general. I'm not sure if any of you guys know about this, uh, but they ended up with just one player drafted taken in the rookie draft. Um, they had no other draftees this year, so there's some concerns over football development in Tasmania. Um, which does arise from time to time when clubs aren't, uh, or when players aren't drafted from any particular state. Uh, South Australia this year, I think, only had three draftees. So um, whether that's any indication on how development's going in those states is another story. I I reckon it was a move that they they made about 10 years ago that well and truly um, stuffed up um, Tassie footy. And that was um, the decision... Uh, to get rid of the Tasmanian side that was in the VFL. Um, they had the Tassie Devils from about 2001. There was this weird half alignment with North Melbourne for about a year or two there before they finally pulled the pin on it. But prior to that, the, the Tasmanian side in the VFL um, actually was drawing something like five or 6,000 people to home games, which is more than a VFL game would pull in Victoria. Mm. So they were pulling good numbers. And a handful of players as well were recruited out of that Tassie Devils side. It was good for them because they were playing a high standard of football. It made guys think about staying in Tasmania instead of moving to Victoria and playing um, suburban league and chasing the big coin. And, and yeah, I mean, the Tasmanian public were behind it. And then they said, oh, no, we're going to pull it out. We're going to bring back the State League. And then the State League uh, almost fell over. And then they kicked out some of the traditional clubs and replaced them with, I, I remember, the Western Storm, which lasted, I think, a season or two before being replaced by the Prospect Hawks. So, yeah, it's just a right royal mess in Tasmania due to a dumb decision made about 10 years ago. They did finally get rid of Scott Wade down there, who may have been the most hated man in Tasmania. 
uh, in Tasmanian football at the very least. Uh, he's he's finally gone, and the AFL has uh, Simon Garlic, uh, former Bulldogs guy, oh, okay. is uh, down there. Well, was down there running running a bit of an investigation for the AFL into uh, what can be done because AFL Tasmania is a fully owned AFL subsidiary. So it's um yeah that they, they, they could put a bit more money into there even a fraction of what they put into like Queensland and New South Wales would go a long way down in Tasmania at the moment. But uh, yeah, so that's 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 pretty much. Yeah, I, I was going to say the big the big fear that the AFL will have in Tasmania it's a long term thing, but um, the A League talking about expanding um, from ten teams to twelve teams. And Tasmania have been pushing very, very, very hard for a Tasmanian Rovers side. In fact, it's even been raised in federal parliament. And they're talking about North Hobart Oval, which was the host of Tasmania versus Victoria State games, a great little ground. They're talking about turning that ground into a soccer stadium. So if if soccer can get a foothold in there, a national team in the A-League, then that's got to start raising alarm bells uh, for the AFL down there. I'm, I'm not sure that the AFL worries too much about what the A-League is... And I, I say this with all due respect, but I'm not sure the AFL worries too much about what the A-League's doing. The A-League has its own problems to worry about in that it still needs to get a TV deal that's actually going to satisfy everyone, all of its stakeholders. It's uh, It's got to worry about the Big Bash League expansion coming in 2018. Uh, they, these aren't... These aren't mine, and, and it's got to worry about the impact that women's footy, AFL women's footy, is going to have on it as well in terms of broadcasting and attendances and things like that. So there's there's a few issues the A-League needs to work out as well rather than just flat-out expansion. But we'll see, I guess. Um, so, look, it's the end of the season, guys. And what was your highlight from the season in general? Well, pick your highlights. Kangas? Hit me. <laughs> I don't have many. <laughs> um, probably the greatest news just in the last couple of days is Jared Ruffhead's back training, which is fantastic. Yeah, that is very good news. Cancer- that's that's got to be my highlight. Cancer-free. Good to see that he, he will be back for round, uh, well, the preseason probably. So. And, and he's also, just on a quick side note, we're playing a charity cricket match with Ponting and the Hawthorne and North Melbourne's involved in Tasmania for a charity match. So that's in early January in Tasmania. And uh, Peter, what's caught your eye on it? Uh, for me, it's a women's footy thing. It was great to be at Seaford to see Moana Hope become the first Victorian woman to kick 100 goals. And then immediately afterwards, her brothers and cousins jumped the fence and performed a haka for her out in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for you, Mike, what, what, what's caught your eye on it? Uh... I don't know. Did anything happen this year notable? <laughs> Not quite sure. No, obviously, you know, the winning, uh, knocking out last year's grand finalists, um, two away finals wins, winning four uh, finals um, in the same series, which is uh, a rarity these days. Not many teams can pull that off, as you know, let alone two interstate finals in the same series and winning from seventh and obviously breaking our premiership drought. Um and no longer having the uh, longest premiership drought between grand finals appearances. Sorry, Richmond supporters. <laughs> well, you all make fun of Richmond supporters until the cows come home. Uh, what are your predictions for next year, guys? Who's going to win? Uh, who's going to win the grand final? Uh, Kangas. Uh, GWS. Mike. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll be brave. I'll say we'll go back to back. Back to back. 
Peter, That's right. who's winning the flag next year, mate? Dare I say it, but I reckon Hawthorne might just rise again, much to everyone's groan. And uh, the women's footy, who's going to win that? Collingwood by a country mile. I don't support them, I don't follow them, but they've got the best they, damn they, list going around. They did around. pull a good list in. Mm, well, that's, that's pretty much it for us, guys. Um, anything you guys want to add that I haven't brought up so far? No, I'm good. So- no, not really. Good to finally catch up after six months, though, Wookie. It, it has been good, <laughs> and uh, we'll do this again soon. And, and just quickly, as an Essen supporter, how much can we get for a trade-in for this wooden spoon that we've got that's very unwanted? Nothing. Nothing. I'm disappointed you're not getting another one, to be honest. Uh, in fact, I'd be happy if you won one every year for a while, but, um, you know, that's me. <laughs> we're, we're changing our theme song, by the way, to the verbs, the drugs don't work. <laughs> All I can say is thank God that that's actually finally appears to be over. Um, the Essendon annual report does include uh, compensation for 27 of the 34 players. There's apparently a few still to be ironed out. Um, but, yeah, all the appeal processes have been pretty much exhausted unless they go to the Court of Human Rights or something, which is probably not going to happen. Um, yeah, Stephen Dank was supposed to appear at the appeals tribunal. He didn't. <laughs> That's no surprise, is it? Apparently, he's going to go to he he'll only go to a proper court or something, not an AFL one. So who knows what's going on there? But uh, other than the few loose ends, it's all it all appears to be finally over and done with. Four years after it started, so we look forward to James Hurd coming back to Essendon sometimes. <laughs> oh God! Oh, for the laughs! Oh look, it, it it has been a laugh and a half. I noticed uh, getting some complaints from. Uh, People on Big Footy that we've moved the forum to a um, uh, a less visible location. <laughs> Suggestions <laughs> that Chief's trying to cover it up. Uh, well, I noticed. I noticed prosecutors been uh, you know had uh, has not been around since obviously the things panned out and uh, you know Essendon were uh, dealt their punishment. Anyway, guys, um, I think that's pretty much it for this uh, this podcast. We might be back soon. We might not be back till next year. I don't know. Depends how often I can get actually talent to come back. But thank you very much. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming uh, on tonight, Kangas. No worries, mate. And uh, thanks for coming on tonight, Mike. No problems. Merry Christmas uh, if we don't catch up again. And uh, thanks for coming on, uh, Peter. Privilege as always, and the season starts again in just two months. Yes, Fantastic. Women's, uh, women's footy will start their uh, pre-season matches, I think, in uh, January, and their season will start February. We get a fixture for that tomorrow, I believe. So that That's the hot rumour that I'm hearing Thursday, the 8th of December, mm. all will be revealed. Look at grounds such as Witten Oval, Hosting Games, Icon Park, Casey Fields in Cranbourne, and the Holton Centre in Collingwood. Be nice to get a few dual headers in there for those uh, games. Uh, I- I reckon the Footscray Melbourne one and Melbourne Carlton and um, and the one out Casey Fields, which uh, Melbourne are hosting, you can yeah, pencil Carlton, them or Carlton Melbourne out there. Yeah. So um, yeah, Carlton St Kilda at Icon Park, not going to get a look in. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, um, that's that's it, guys. Thanks, thanks very much, and we will uh, see you all on the forums.